Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Woo, you're actually awake today. That's exciting. You guys have a good week? Yes. Yes, awesome. If you're joining us online, uh, good morning to you as well. Excited to sing, excited to worship this morning. Have a new song for you in a little bit. This is going to be a great day. You guys ready to sing? Yes. All right, why don't we stand up together as we sing? Maybe for that it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God, oh my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm going to see a victory, for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory, I'm going to see a victory, for the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giants. I know how this story ends. I know. I know how this story ends. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Let's see you sing it out. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Amen.
God, we love you. He proudly sings your name. Amen. You guys up for a new song this morning? Sure. That's good. That's good. I said that once and somebody was like, no. I'm like, well, we're still going to do it. Um, but, yeah, this, uh, this, song, <laughs> this song has been a, uh, an anthem for me the last couple weeks. And uh, just a, a song that declares that the battle is not ours. That as we worship, as we sing, as we, as we go to work, as we drive down the road, the battles in our minds, the battles in front of us, we, can, we give those over to God and say, God, the battle does not belong to me. God, you are able, you take this and you run with it. The first line of this chorus just says, when I fight, I fight on my knees. First of all, who says that, right? You fight, you think we fight, we get up and we fight. But, the, but in all reality, when we fight, we are on our knees. With my hands lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you. Let's sing this together. We're going to start with the chorus, um, sing it a few times, and then we'll, we'll jump into the song. Because the song goes like this. So when I fight, I fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I sing through the night.
you, God. When all I see is a cross, you see an empty tomb. Sing it out. So when I fight, so when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. No, God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. When I fight, I fight on my knees. With my hands lifted high. No God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear, every fear, I lay at your feet. God, sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows, you win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. And Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So you guys sing when I fight. So when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God. The battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. When I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I Lay at your feet, I sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. God, we declare that today. God, we thank you for this time and this place. Proudly sing your name. Amen. Grab a seat. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> yeah, so that last song, I don't know, that message really resonated with me. Like, we can't really do anything on our own accord, but with God, we can. So that's my preaching for the day. Woo! Okay. <laughs> so, yes, welcome. We are so excited that you are all joining us this Sunday morning. We love to see you in person and for those watching online. Hello, glad to see you're here. Uh, please drop us like a comment or a like. We'd appreciate that. And if you remember, I may have made a snarky remark the last time about Facebook. So I apologize. I do not retract my statement because <laughs> I recently tried making a Facebook. Uh, the platform is just not for me. So yeah, it didn't work out. But 
Anyways, moving on. Uh, we are excited to announce that there will be two new small groups starting this coming week. The first is a ladies' backyard Bible study hosted by Miss Joy about the armor of God. And the second is a Zoom Bible study hosted by Pastor Matt Foreman called No More Excuses. If you're interested in joining either one of these groups, please see Miss Joy or Pastor Matt, and they'll give you all the information you'll need to get started. Or you can always check out our SVC app for serving opportunities and uh, to see what other groups are starting. And tonight we are hosting another revival prayer at 6.30 p.m. right here in this building. Uh, revival prayer is a great opportunity for all of us to come together and pray and agree in Jesus' name. If there's anything you need prayer for, I would encourage you to come. Children's ministry is now open. Woo. <laughs> So, again, we're excited to have uh, to start our classes back today. And if your child is interested in getting involved with the children's ministry, uh, please see Miss Kimberly or any of the children's ministry leaders to get more information. And we also have a youth group on Wednesday nights. So if you have a student that would like to be a part of that group, please contact Miss Jen and she can tell you how to get involved. Mother's Day is May 9th next week. I still need to get a present for my mom. Yay! <laughs> um, yeah, one week. So uh, we'd love for you to bring your mother or any special woman in your life uh, to this awesome service. We're going to be honoring all those who have shown us motherly love, uh, but it's also going to be a service that anyone can get something out of. Uh, there's going to be a special baby dedication as well that day, so if you're interested in dedicating a child in your family, uh, please contact or Miss Kimberly again, and she will set that up for you. Uh, Pastor Gary will be starting a new sermon series next week, May 9th, called Building Stronger Homes. This uh, sermon series is really going to speak to the hearts of everyone in the church, whether you're married, single, dating, uh, an empty nester, just starting out a young parent, you're going to love this series. So uh, think of who you could invite that would benefit from this great series. And lastly, um, now it's time to continue worship uh, God through our tithes and offerings. So the Bible says that all good things come from him, and when we give, we get to experience those good things that God has promised us. We want to thank you for being so generous already and giving to the church, um, and we pray that you feel God's generosity in every uh, area of your life. So there are now technically like five ways to give. So you can give online at solanovalley.org giving, tap give on the SVC phone app, Sending a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. Text GIVE to 707-883-3019. Or you can drop it in the silver uh, letter drop box next to the office at the back of the church. And that is all I have for you. So now I'm going to pass it off to Pastor Gary. All right. Thank you so much, Nathan. Really appreciate you. Uh, you know, I liked your I liked your little sermon. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of other people in our church who would love for me to preach more like you. It's one sentence. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, real quick, I know we just talked about this, and, and Nathan just talked about revival prayer. Let me tell you why revival prayer, we do this on a, a monthly basis on the first Sunday of every month. I really believe that our nation is facing a lot of problems. It is. Our, our nation's facing a lot of problems. And, and uh, uh, you know, and, and the reason that we like to begin the month in prayer is because 
the, the thing is, is that 30, 30 days, uh, you know, that, that's, excuse me, seven days. Did you know seven days without prayer makes one week? Okay. Anyway, so, uh, so, but we want to, we want to, we, the, the, the reason for revival prayer is this. I really believe that the hope of America is the person of Jesus. I do. I, I look in our nation and I've gotten where I don't really watch the news anymore and stuff like that. Because when I watch the news, I either, I either finish watching it or reading it or whatever. And I either feel really, really anxious are fearful about what's going on or what might happen in the future, or I find myself feeling really, really aggravated and angry with how other people, what other people are doing in our world that's so wrong. And for me, where I need to be is I need to be in the presence of God, and I need to be in prayer. I need to be in prayer. And I, I really believe that the hope of this nation is in spiritual renewal and revival. And this has happened before at times in our nation. Um, when you read through the, the history of our nation, and when you read through the Bible, you'll see renewal movements, spiritual renewal movements, revival movements. In fact, even the text we're going to look at today, you see something that looks like a community-wide revival. And I believe that what God has done in the past, God can and will do again. But I really believe God's people have to come together and we have to pray and we have to be willing to repent where there's stuff in our lives that we need to get straight with God. And uh, But that's the reason I do it. And I hope you'll join me tonight at 630 uh, to do that, to pray together. Uh, I don't, you know, my background uh, uh, for me, there are a lot of happy memories, a lot of happy memories in my early years, a lot of happy memories in my childhood. My neighborhood where I grew up was very friendly, very friendly. It was in the South. This was back in the 1960s, 1970s, very friendly. Most people claim to believe in Jesus. In fact, if someone didn't believe in Jesus, that was really kind of odd, you know, just you you know, everybody claimed to believe in Jesus, even if they didn't go to church and even if they didn't live like it. Uh, but everybody claimed to believe in Jesus. Our neighborhood was very religious, but it was also racially segregated. You remember how I said our neighborhood was very friendly? It was very friendly if you were white. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was very friendly if you were white. Now, when I was a kid, I understood there were some parts of town you did not go to. You just didn't go. That it was, it was dangerous. It was dangerous. You weren't supposed to be in that part of town. But the truth is, my part of town was also dangerous. It just wasn't dangerous to me. And because I was white, I felt it felt very friendly. It felt very safe. Um, so our neighborhood was very religious, but racially segregated. And guess what? This didn't bother us. It didn't bother us. Hopefully this is bothering you a little bit while I'm talking about it. Uh, it didn't bother us. We preferred to be segregated in how we lived. We did. But it was just, it was the, it was the culture. We preferred to be segregated in how uh, we lived, where we lived. 
Okay, which part of town you live in, where we lived, and where we went to church. We preferred to be segregated. That was my life as a kid. Then the federal courts decided to desegregate the Little Rock school systems. And uh, if anybody ever watched the movie uh, Return of the Titans, in the tension of that, I lived that. That's what I lived. All of that happened in 1972. In 1972, I lived in southwest Little Rock, but I was bused about 10 miles away. Well, I think it was a little bit more than 10 miles away, but to the southeast side. Uh, and uh, in, in the tension was, uh, was, was pretty high. Uh, there was, uh, at that time, uh, my world suddenly changed. Uh, there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear. There was a lot of suspicion. Uh, there was a lot of resentment. There was a, a lot of anger. I remember watching this as a young person, 12 years of age. There was a lot of anger and there was a lot of hate. There was. That was my childhood. Uh, there's nothing new about racism. There's nothing new about it. I mean, right now, we are seeing incredible racial tension in our world, in our nation. But there is nothing new about racism. It's not a South thing. And when I say it's not a South thing, a lot of people want to make it a South thing. Because then they don't have to deal with their own heart. Oh, that's just those people in the South. It's a South thing. Racism is not limited to the South. Racism is not an American thing. And what I mean by that, it's not limited to America. It's not. If you are a student of history, you know it exists everywhere. It is not, um, it's not a black and white thing. And what I mean by that, it's not limited to black people and white people. The racism is much bigger than that. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a people thing. Racism is a people thing. It, it is a, it's not a skin thing, it's a sin thing. See, the problem isn't with the color of our skin. The problem is with the sin in our heart. I, I believe there is systemic racism and there need to be changes systemically. But the reason I believe there's a problem with systemic racism is because systems, systemic systems, systems are made of people. And unless you have completely perfect people in this system, the system will break down. It always does. But the breakdown begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. Racism is not a skin thing. It's a sin thing. It is as old as humanity. So how did Jesus respond to the racism in his day? And how does the gospel, the gospel, you know what the gospel is? Gospel literally means good news. The gospel is, it's the most powerful force in the world. Uh, it's the most the, the the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's the gospel. 
It is the power of God for salvation that can change a human heart. It can take the sword out of a man's hand. The gospel is powerful. The gospel changes lives. And the gospel, when you begin to see lives change, you can see society changed. So how did Jesus respond to the racism of his day? How does the gospel change the way we think about race and how we interact with people of different races and who worship differently? Today we're going to look at a text of Scripture, and it doesn't talk about just race or racism. But if you don't pay attention to what you're reading, you miss much of what the text is about. Because the whole action, everything in this, is happening in a context of racial tension. Just understand that. It is a racially charged, intense situation. The Gospel of John... (laughs) The Gospel of John is more true than your news. Did you know that? Your news, they tell you lies all the time. They'll give you a few facts, but they won't give you all the facts. Did you know that? I don't care what your news source is. I don't care if it's Fox, CNN, or whatever. But you never get the whole story. You always get a slant. This right here is always true. It is always true. So the Bible is more true than your newsfeed, and the Bible is more relevant than your newsfeed. And it's a message filled with hope. We're going to read this together. And uh, kind of a longer text, and so I'm just going to ask you to listen attentively. Okay? Listen attentively. Listen with imagination. Don't let the words just wash past you. But, but, but I want you to see in the words what was happening in real time, in a real place, with real people. John chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 4, but let me relate real quickly to the verses before that. Jesus had been in Jerusalem. Uh, he had been there for Passover. He had... Um, he had gone into the temple, and uh, if you were with us, oh, actually, I didn't, I didn't preach this part of John, okay? But Jesus had been in a temple, and when he went into the temple, he started turning over tables, and uh, because they were, there were money changers in the temple who were corrupting the worship of God, and he just kind of made a mess of things. And the Bible says that he did many signs there. These are miracles that he did that pointed to who he is, that he is the Savior of the world. He did many signs there, and many people were believing in him. But there was a tension between Jesus and the Pharisees. So at this time, Jesus has decided that he's going to go from Jerusalem, from Judea, to uh, Galilee. Now, if you were a Jew, and you were a serious Jew, okay? When you would travel from... Judea, or from, uh, from Jerusalem up to Galilee, the most direct route was through a place called Samaria. But Samaria was for the Jews what Sweet Home Arkansas was to, to me when I was a kid growing up. It was the part of town you did not go in, okay, unless you were forced to go there by federal courts. You just didn't go there. 
If you were a Jew, most likely you would either cross the Jordan River, you would go east, you would go into Perea, you would go up north through Perea, then you would cross back over west over the Jordan into Galilee. It added days to your travel, but is what you did. So that's important just to read verse 4. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Those words are important. Not just he decided to go. That's not what John writes here. John doesn't write, well, you know, Jesus could have gone the other way, but he decided to go this way. No, 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 no. John is very clear. This is something Jesus had to do. Jesus had to do something. He had to go through Samaria because there was someone there who needed him. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Uh, real quick, let's just, you know, I, 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 I think sometimes I assume too much. The Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile. And if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you'll know that, that really from about 722 B.C. all the way up until, well, the time of Jesus, th- there were these people, the Samaritans, those people, those people, those people. You ever hear someone talk about those people? Well, that's the way the Jews talked about the Samaritan. They were those people. They were those people who didn't use all of the Old Testament. They were those people who only used the first five books of the Old Testament. And they were those people who rewrote those first five books to make Samaria and to make Mount Gerizim the place of worship. And so the the Samaritans were those people the Jews despised. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, you probably heard the story of Jacob. He was the father of 12 sons that became the nation of Israel. And one of those sons was Joseph. And so uh, he came to this town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And, And Joseph's well was there. Joseph's well was there. By the way, just so you are aware, this well, we know where it is today. It's over 100 feet deep. You have to go down 100 feet to get water. Okay? It's 100 feet deep. So Jacob's well is there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, pause, You don't draw water at noon. You don't draw water at noon. In that culture, typically you would go to draw water either in the early morning or early evening, the cool part of the day. But you didn't want to go there the hottest part of the day and carry this big jug of water that weighs, I don't know how many pounds, that's really heavy, and lug it all the way back to your home. You just didn't want to do that. But this woman shows up at the well at noon. It's kind of odd. Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? Now, this is, again, when you read this, it's so easy for us in our context today. We're like, okay, big deal. He's talking to a woman. You just didn't do that. 
that it was not proper for a man to address a woman who was a stranger. It just wasn't something that was done in their culture. Okay? So Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. You are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her. And he begins to answer in a way that, well, okay. Uh, Anyway, he answers her, if you knew the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, that means me. If you knew the gift of God and you knew who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Interesting words, living water. Typically when the word living and water were put together in that cultural context, in that historical context, usually it meant running water like a stream. Okay? You would have asked me, I would have given you living water. The woman says, and you should read this with a hint of sarcasm in your voice. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep, basically 100 feet deep, okay? You got to have something. You got to have a rope with something on the end of it to get water out of this well, all right? Uh, You know, what this woman is probably thinking is, this guy is a nutcase. He's insane. I mean... First of all, if there was running water around here, I'd be going there and I'd be getting water. I wouldn't be here. And then he's claiming he can give me this living water. The well is deep. He has nothing to draw with. This guy is clearly insane. Uh, The woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater? There's sarcasm in this, okay? This is not an honest question. This is a sarcastic question. We had the rhetorical question earlier in the service. This is the sarcastic question. You don't answer rhetorical questions. You don't answer sarcastic questions, okay? Sarcastically, she asked, um, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water uh, that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up. Literally, the Greek word means leaping up. It's something that's not even used of water anywhere else in the Greek except here with Jesus. This water that I give you will become a spring of water welling up, leaping up to eternal life. Now, think about this. Think if you're the woman and you're in this experience. I'd be thinking, you know, this guy has either had, you know, he's smoking something, you know. He's been smoking something or had a little bit too much of a drink, okay? And so the woman said to him, sir, uh, again, sarcasm. Sir, this is the kind of sarcastic remark that's intended to end the conversation and kind of like it's saying leave me alone without saying leave me alone. She says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus does something. Jesus does something, and he's going to say something to this woman that reveals to her that he has a knowledge, a knowledge, a supernatural knowledge, uh, about things that he couldn't possibly know. 
And so he says to her, go call your husband and come back. Now, when Jesus says this, the woman says, I have no husband. Again, this is the kind of comment that a person makes when you get real close. Have you ever gotten close to a place of pain in another person's life and had them respond to you in a real curt, sharp way? Anybody who's been close to me very long probably has felt that, okay? Uh, so that's not true, but it, it is true, but not always true, okay? Uh, so, you know, with, with this with you know this woman she's like i have no husband this is the this is the comment that's supposed to be the conversation killer but jesus says this you're right you're right when you say you have no husband the fact is you've had five husbands and when he is making these statements he is entering her pain you're right. He's not telling her off. He's entering her pain. By the way, one of the most important ways that we can reach out to people who don't know Jesus is by entering your pain with them. It's being empathetic. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now, this, the woman now realizes, I'm not talking with someone who's been smoking something or drinking something, or who's in that case. I'm talking with someone who's something more than just an ordinary person. She says, uh, sir, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Woman, Jesus replied. By the way, woman was a term of honor and respect in their world and in their culture. It'd be... Kind of like when I was a kid growing up in the South, you would call someone you didn't know a lady. You would call her ma'am. Okay? Now if I say ma'am to women, they get offended. But back then it was considered, uh, it was kind of like if you say woman to a woman. You know, don't, don't, man, don't say that to your wives, okay? Uh, but, but, you know, he says woman, but he means ma'am, my lady, whatever. Uh, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming. By the way, Every time you hear a time is coming or an hour is coming in John, it's important. It is significant. It's taking us to a time that's coming, a very important time. And, and, and it happens in the last part of the Gospel of John, John when Jesus goes to the cross. But he says to her, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, You Samaritans worship what you don't know, okay? You worship in ignorance. And here, when Jesus is saying this, he is um, simply pointing out that the Samaritans worship only with the Samaritan Pentateuch. They know nothing about the history, uh, the rich history of, of Joshua, of Judges, of Ruth, of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, of uh, of Ezra and Nehemiah, and and of Esther, she doesn't know 
they didn't know anything about this rich history. They didn't know about all the richness that, that of worship that's in the book of Psalms. They, they didn't know all the wisdom literature that is tucked away in books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. She, they didn't know the, the, uh, the, the, the love um, poem of Song of Solomon. They didn't know. Uh, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and, and the minor prophets, they didn't know what they were missing. They were worshiping. Yes, they were worshiping, but they were worshiping in ignorance. And so he says, um, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. We worship in knowledge. Because we have the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. We, the Jews, we worship in knowledge for salvation is from the Jews. Meaning, meaning this, that it would be through the Jewish nation that the Old Testament scriptures would come. And it would be through the, the Jewish nation that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come. He says this. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says this. I know that Messiah, or the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This would be a great place to end right here. But I'm going to read a couple more verses. Jump down to verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. (sighs) Tweet, would you mind getting my water bottle for me, please? Um, Thanks, Serene. Sorry, all that reading. I'm dry. Plus, I was eating oatmeal just before the service. Um, Rich, I'm going to do four teaching points. It's in the slides. And then I'm going to do four application points. Let's talk about this real quick. Four teaching points. First one is this. Jesus does the unexpected to reach the unlikely. Jesus does the unexpected. He, He does... He does what people don't do. He goes to, he has to go through Samaria. That's something that the Jews didn't do. Jesus does the unexpected. He speaks to a woman. That was something that men didn't do with women that they didn't know in that context. Jesus does the unexpected. He speaks to, as a Jew, he speaks to a Samaritan. Jesus does the unexpected. Jesus asked, he asked, will you give me a drink? He does the unexpected. He puts himself 
in a place of need. And he puts her in a place of water. I am the one who needs water. You are the water giver. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? That what Jesus is doing is he taking, remember who this woman is. She is a Samaritan woman who's gone through five failed marriages and now she's living with a guy because she's given up on marriage. She's not welcome to get watered in the early morning or in the early evening. She's not welcome. The Samaritans were outcasts and she was an outcast among outcasts. And what Jesus does in this moment is significant and important. He puts himself in the place of need and puts her in the place of power. But then he flips this. Jesus does the unexpected to reach the unlikely. This Samaritan woman with five failed marriages and now in a relationship that's probably a dead-end relationship. Second thing that Jesus does here that's important for us to, to see is that Jesus offers living water to a thirsty soul. Now, Jesus isn't just talking about physical water that we all need. He's talking about this inner longing that she has in her heart. A longing to be loved, to be in a meaningful relationship with another person, where she has felt pain. She has felt pain. She has felt pain. And more pain. And more pain. And now she's in a relationship with a man who's using her body like a playground. Sex without commitment. Jesus offers life-giving water. To the thirsty soul. Third thing I want you to see that Jesus does in this text that I think is important is Jesus reveals a better way to worship. For the Samaritans, worship was all about worshiping on Mount Gerizim. For the Jews, worship was all about worshiping on Mount Zion in the temple. But Jesus relocates the idea of worship. He he says that it's not the temple that matters most. It's the temple of your body. The true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. They will worship, I think, in the Holy Spirit. They will worship in the truth of God's word, and they will worship. And it isn't dependent upon where you are. It is a worship you take with you everywhere you go. Because everywhere you go, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He shows her, reveals a better way to worship. Fourth, what does Jesus do? Jesus reveals himself as Messiah. She says, I know that Messiah is coming and when he comes, he will explain all things to us. And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So what does this mean for you and me today? What does this, because see, the Bible is relevant right now. I don't have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant. What does this mean for you and me right now? Number one, we must heal 
the racial wounds of our world. Jesus refuses to be shaped by the racism of his time. Are you? Are you? Jesus refuses to be shaped by the racism of his time. Are you? Sometimes I watch what people post on Facebook or what people will say, or they'll post an article. And they'll post an article that is either racially charged or racially insensitive, the comments of a political leader, or sometimes even a pastor. It's like it feeds the, it feeds the anxiety of the age. Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus does not feed the, the, the anger of racism or the fear of racism or the hate of racism or the resentment of racism. Jesus sits with the Samaritan woman. He builds a bridge where others burn it. That we have got to become a people uh, who heal racial wounds in our world. By the way, by the way, are you friends? Do you have a meaningful re- relationship and friendship with the person of a different race? Now, if you can't say yes to that, it is time that you do it. It is time. If you've been a Christian any amount of time, it is time that we have got to, if we can only be friends, if we are choosing to be segregated in our friendship. If we are being set, choosing to be segregated even in our worship, this is unlike Jesus. That we have to get out of our comfort zones. Sometimes we need to put ourselves in the place of being needy and the other person in the place of power. And this is part of how we heal racial wounds in our nation. And when we follow Jesus, we do that. And when we do that, we follow Jesus. That's what following Jesus looks like. That's what following Jesus looks like. It looks like actually bringing healing to racial wounds. Uh, second thing, second thing, we must heal the racial wounds of our world. Number two, we must, um, <laughs> wait a second, I got to tell you this, I got to tell you this. So I read commentaries. I read, like, these books, you know. And, and, and most of these, these commentaries are written by, like, scholars and by theologians. And some of these guys, I don't want to be mean, but some of them are very awkward socially, okay? They're brilliant, but they have a hard time engaging people. So I've been reading this commentary. It's about 800 pages long on the Gospel of John. It's written by this guy named Leon Morris. Leon Morris, he's dead now. He's been dead for about 15 years. He grew up in Australia. Grew up in Australia. uh, Was educated at Cambridge. Uh, He is an evangelical Anglican minister, uh, scholar, written many, many books. But but I was reading his commentary on this, and I I was thinking, you know, he wrote this, it was back in the 80s, but he wrote this commentary, and, and he's a really funny guy. He's like a really funny guy, and it'll show up in his commentary. It's like, I love reading him because he's like so different from all the other guys. It's like he actually has a sense of humor. And, and most scholars don't get real preachy. I get preachy, all right? But he doesn't. They don't. Most of them don't. 
But in this, it was really interesting because I was reading this, and he said this about this whole scene in the Bible. He says, if we understand what the death of Christ means, we understand that racial prejudice has no place in our lives. Has no place in our lives. He goes on to write this. He says, because of what Christ has done for us, we are to act toward other people of other races. We are to act toward other people in the way that Christ has done for us. We are to act toward people in, uh, in the way he acted. That means we must put an end to the closest he ever comes to using profanity. We must put an end to stupid practices like racial prejudice. Leon Morris is right. Now, I don't know what kind of racism he was speaking to. You know, I mean, he, he was working in Australia. I don't really know that much about there. But it's, we, we've got to do that. Number two, number two, number two. Second thing we've got to do, number two, we must offer spiritually thirsty people living water. In our world today, people look to satisfy their inner longings in so many things. One man, he looks to satisfy his inner longing in career success. A woman looks for her inner, uh, satisfying her inner longing in financial security. A teenager looks for his um, inner longing to satisfy it in being popular. Uh, a young teenage gal, she looks for satisfying her inner longing in being in a romantic relationship. Other people look for satisfying their inner thirst, their spiritual thirst, by being well thought of in their school, their work, their community. Some people look for it in drugs. Some people look for it in immoral sex. Some people look for it in accumulating stuff. Some people look for it in buying lots of toys that are very expensive and going on expensive vacations. But you were made for something better than all of these things. You were made for something far better than these things. It's interesting. I felt the temptation this last week to drive over to Rayleigh's and buy a box of Cocoa Krispies. Now, folks, I can finish a box of Cocoa Krispies. I will not feel good afterwards. <laughs> it won't be pretty. It just won't be pretty. But you know what? Cocoa Krispies cannot satisfy my inner longing. But I still want to buy them sometimes, okay? You know, here's the thing is we look for all these different kinds of things that we think are going to make us happy in the moment, fulfilled, only to find that later we're empty. Um, What we've got to do in our world is we have got to uh, offer people, spiritually thirsty people, living water. Now, some of you are saying, I can't do that. I can't offer someone, uh, I, I've never been to Bible school. I've never been to Bible school. I've never been to seminary. I, I haven't read through the whole Bible. I have a lot of messed up stuff in my life. God can't use me. God can't work through me. He can't use me to offer spiritual water to, to spiritually thirsty people, living water to spiritually thirsty people. He can't work through me. Folks, do you realize that the first thing this woman does in John chapter 4, the first thing she does after she drinks of the living water that Jesus gives, you know what she does? She starts a revival. 
She goes into the community. She says, hey, I found a man who's told me all the things I've ever done. Could he be the Christ? You know what happens? The people started coming out to Jesus. By the way, at the end of the story, at the end of the story, this is what the Samaritans say to the woman. At the end of the story, verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Imagine that happening this week in this community. Is that too big for you to imagine? It's not too big for God. When one person, one person decides they're going to tell their story. Um, Three things you can do here. Number one, how do we get ready to offer spiritually thirsty people to living water? I'm probably going to have to end this short, even though I think there's so much good stuff here. Well, actually, let me make two more points, and I'm going to come back to this, and I'm going to ask... Uh, I'm going to ask Dan to come up. Number three, third thing we need to do is we need to worship God in spirit and truth and invite others to worship with us. Then finally, four, we must share our faith story with others, just as this woman does. We need to share our faith story with others. Now, some of you are like, well, what's your faith story? What's your faith story? And uh, so what I'm going to do is, Dan, why don't you come up, okay? And... uh, Dan, I'm just going to let you read your faith story, okay? And then I'm going to uh, let you sit back down because it's really awkward when you stand next to me when I'm trying to finish. (laughs) I'm going to let you uh, read your faith story for us, and then I'm going to make a couple of comments about what Dan has done for us. Actually, I'm going to stand right behind you. (laughs) That way, if you get long-winded, I can push you off the stage. Somebody needs to push me off, okay? Check, check. Take this mask off. Can you guys hear me okay? You, you can take it off. Oh, man. Ain't Halloween no more. Uh, so Gary asked me as far as two weeks ago we met, just to give a little quick background, because he challenged me with a 100-word testimony. And I'll tell you what, 100 words is challenging, hence the 100-word challenge. Um, so first writing it out was about 400, 500 words and keep going. <laughs> and I was blessed. I said, woman, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she has the English, and so she helped me cut it down. We have like five different versions. So we got it down to 96 words, and I add four more while you're talking. Yeah. We're right at 100 if you want to count with me. And I have it here, so we just keep on script. So yeah. don't mind that. I had a promising future as a successful musician and a businessman. Partying, pleasure, and money. One night, I heard God's voice. Quit this band. I have bigger and better. I listen. God's voice was unignorable. Now, confession for you. I pictured a famous Christian band opportunity, but God's plan was more than I could ever have imagined. I pursued God, committing to praying and reading the Bible every day. He he replaced my spirit of haughtiness with a spirit of humility and planted in me a fire to serve, to be an urban missionary in the classroom. God's plan was bigger and better. So that's 100 words, and I just want to leave just with a quick life verse, if that's okay. Okay. just don't want you to kick me off yet. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29:11. Thank you.
All right. Thanks, Dan. All right. So last week, I gave you a challenge. I challenged you to memorize John 3.16. For God so loved the world. By the way, it's on my shirt. Okay. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And um, what I did was I asked you to memorize that verse because if someone asked you, you know, how can I be saved? Or why did you become a Christian? It's just, you know, someone asks you, why are you a Christian? Well, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for me. That God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, people like me, uh, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's why I became a Christian. And someone asked me, well, Gary, how can I become a Christian? I'll, I'll just say, well, you know, this is what the Bible says. For God so loved the world. God so loved you. That he gave his one and only son so that whoever, you, believe in him. Believe in him. Put your trust in Jesus. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, it's the gospel in a single verse. Now, if you haven't done that yet, please do that. It is worth it. If you could see happen in your community what that woman saw in her community, would you invest yourself in doing that? Then do it. The second thing I want to encourage you to do, we've done this before, is to write out your before and after story of becoming a Christian or following Jesus. But, but the way you do this is the reason I ask you to write 100 words is because I don't want you to do what Dan did. I don't want you to write 500 words. If I have to write 500 words, this is crazy. If I have to fi- write 500 words, I won't do it. This is funny because this sermon, when I was writing out the notes for it, was like 15,000 words. It was ridiculous. Um, actually, it was like 19 pages, 19 pages. Uh, but I'm not going to do the whole 19, okay? But, but what, what for me, what, what, you know, if you'll just write out and, and answer three questions. What was your life like before you became a Christian? Or if you became a Christian when you were really young, before you really began to own your own Christian faith? What was your life like before that? How did you come to that place, that place where you made that decision? And what is your life like now? How is Jesus making a difference in your life today because of that decision? And just writing that out, what happens is, see, you can do a hundred-word testimony in about one minute. If someone asks you, you know, so I know you're a Christian, what's all that about? That you are ready to share with that. You're ready. You're ready. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Right now, God can use you. He can use you. There's not a person in this room God cannot work through. He used a shepherd boy to slay a giant. He used a woman with a questionable reputation to bring revival to her old community. God can work through you. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to be missionaries in our world, not spectators in a church. God hasn't called us to be spectators. He's called us to be missionaries. And the way you do this is just remember the three P's. That first of all is prayer. Write down the name of five, ten people that you would love to see in heaven. 
write their names down, and begin to pray for them. So prayer, first P, prayer. Second P is this, uh, is, is preparation, preparation. Write out your testimony, your story, your faith story in a hundred words or less. Preparation. So there's prayer and there's preparation. And then finally, third P, presence. Spend time with these people. Laugh with them. Eat dinner with them. Uh, have them into your home. I'm not even asking you to invite them to your church. I mean, if that's natural, do it. But just be with these people. And ask God to give you opportunity to be a witness to them. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray because I believe that's important. I'm going to ask you to prepare because I believe that's important. And I'm going to ask you to spend time in the presence of people who don't know Jesus because I believe they matter to God. And because they matter to God, they need to matter to you and me. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. You bring... Uh, you are a God who redeems. You are a God who restores. You can take the brokenness of any life, including the Samaritan woman, including me, including every, people, every person that we know, that you are a God who can restore, that you are a God who can save. God, use us. Uh, use us to be a part of your revival movement in this community. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand up together as we sing this morning. And uh, we learned a new song earlier, and I wanted to end with it today. And we'll sing this together. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees With my hands lifted high Oh, God Battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night. Oh God, battle belongs to you. When I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, battle belongs to you. Every fear I Lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, battle belongs to you. Cause Almighty Fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. When I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle 
Thanks for hanging out this morning. We will see you next Sunday.